To unleash the full power of the federal government in this effort today, I am officially declaring a national emergency. Two very big words. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Friday, March 13th edition of the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast. My name is Justin Robert Young, joining you from the edge of oblivion here in Oakland, California. What you heard was what just happened. Donald Trump making his way out to the Rose Garden to give a speech that, in essence, was him declaring national emergency over coronavirus concerns and response yet I think it was more significant in fact I think that he just bet his presidency on how he handles the coronavirus from here on now that's not all we have for you I mean I got this opening thing it's all about the coronavirus stuff and We're going to touch on it a little bit later, but we also got a totally unrelated, very brainy, very awesome interview all about how we see each other when we are looking at opposite party affiliations and the power. And I mean true social power derived by the concept of calling yourself an independent. It's a great interview. I really, really, really encourage you to to listen to it. Also, we have a bonus check-in with my mom. We've been following her opinion. Finally on Tuesday, unless they move it, she has a chance to vote. We will find out who she is going to vote for in the Florida primary. Again, she is an over 60 Florida voter, a key, key, key demographic in a very crucial part of the state, part of the I-4 corridor in Orlando. We get that, all of her opinions on coronavirus and, and, and so much more, as well as there's a, found out earlier today that uh, the man who came very close to being governor of the state of Florida whom she voted for, was caught in a hotel room with two other men, one of whom was possibly overdosing on meth. So we get her reaction to that. She had not heard the story until I brought it up to her. But first, let's talk about this coronavirus story. So let's do a little experiment on whether or not from here on, Whenever you hear this, because you're probably going to either hear this on the 13th or the 14th, maybe the 15th. However you think this is going to go. You want to know what? Do me a favor. Open up your phone or if you're by a piece of paper with a pen, go ahead and do that. And just either type or write what you think the fallout of coronavirus in the United States is going to be. Right now, there's 41 dead couple thousand cases that are confirmed. No one buys that official case uh, count, mostly because we don't have a lot of testing. 
So it's anywhere between 5, 7, 10, 20x, depending on who you might believe. It's more than what we think it is, which is like 1900, something like that. So from here until when this is not a thing, well, hell, let's just go till election day. What do you think the count is going to be? How many infected? How many dead? Because I'm here to tell you, Donald Trump is playing over under with our collective expectations. If it is under what the average of what we think it might be, he's going to take credit. If it's over, I think he's cooked. And you guys know that I am not a big hyperbole guy. I am not here to, to say that there's any one thing that can move the needle like that. But what we saw today was kind of the the culmination of a few different very Trumpian leadership moves. Let's go on what what, what happened today. He identified the fact that uh, uh, one of the major complaints and has been a major complaint in many circles for a very long time, and that is the lack of testing. So, to aid that, he rolled out what were effectively the uh, uh, over 40, overweight by about 10 pounds, white guy CEO Avengers, the country club Avengers. <laughs> I mean, this is the, 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 the hits just kept on coming. The CEO of Target, Walgreens, CVS, Roche, uh, I think, uh, uh, well, one one of the companies that specifically deals with senior and elder care. And then a few other medical supply companies. That, combined with Google, Google didn't send a corporate representative, is effectively the tip of their spear of the new testing strategy that they say will be live by the end of the weekend, if not early next week. And that is this. That you will be able to go on, I believe it was coronavirus.gov, and it will be a very simple website. The website will list out symptoms. If you believe you have coronavirus, you are going to be able to list your symptoms. It will tell you whether or not those symptoms are consistent with coronavirus. If the answer is yes, it will then point you to a drive-by testing facility. Now, we've seen these in a few different places uh, around the world. But those are pretty much, based on what I can tell, the gold standard for testing to see whether or not you have coronavirus. They went on to say through the Q&A that, and again, Q&A here is a sign of confidence. There were moments during this conference that almost sounded chummy. Trump began... His, his speaking by saying that it was a lovely day in the Rose Garden. This is where I think he's betting his presidency. Because if this doesn't go well, number one, it will be, oh, so you turn to the private sector uh, because you gutted the federal government. This is an indictment of corporatism at the, its highest order that this dogmatic belief that government can't do anything 
finally bit Trump in the ass. Instead of spending money where it was supposed to be, he cut funding, he disbanded certain uh, organizations, and then when he was up against it, he turned to his private sector pals to save him, and they couldn't do it. That will be the narrative. It's going to be very hard for him to walk away from that at this point, especially when you're going to have clips from this press conference. I, I, I genuinely believe this is going to be an inflection point. This is going to be something that either people will remember or there will be worse public moments than what happens here. There were a few other uh, uh, top-line issues. Uh, there is going to be, thanks to the state of emergency, there are some uh, regulations that are going to be bypassed. This has been blamed uh, by the administration. And to to the credit of Dr. Fauci, who I have, as I've learned more and more, is a very, very, very well-respected expert in this area. He believed that the regulations were getting in the way of a of ramping up a mass testing on a gigantic scale like uh, is going to be the case here. But this is this is big. If we are below what you have just written down. So look at that number. Look at those numbers again. Look at how many think are going to die. Look at how many you think are going to be infected. If the numbers by election day are lower than that, then this is going to be a signature jewel in his crown of only I can fix it. You said that there could be no deal with China. Guess who got one? You said that there was nothing better than NAFTA, and even if it, it, it didn't do a great job, that it would be too hard to repeal it. Guess who did? You said that there was no way we could better contain the coronavirus or any kind of pandemic, a global pandemic, because this is something that is... Is big. This is international news. Half the questions he took today were from international journalists, which he does like to do because he likes to pick and choose which American ones he likes to take question from. But there's no doubt that there are massive interests in what the American president's going to do from all around the world. He will say, nobody could contain it better than me because there is no president that would have the clout, that would have the connections to go to all these CEOs and get them to do this this fast. And there is one element of buy-in there. I don't believe that the CEO of any of these companies, any of these companies, including you know Walmart, CVS, and, and Target, they're just giving their, their parking lot space away. But God forbid, if this spreads and people are like, oh, no, I bet you I got it from from the parking lot of Walmart. I don't think any of these guys can survive this going poorly. I don't mean physically, although maybe. I think they're all fired. I think they bet their jobs, too. 
And so I think that will be Trump's pitch. Do you think any of these guys rolled out of bed today and said, oh, I want to tie my job to a pandemic that nobody really knows how's it, how it's going to go? Because I have such insane faith of Donald Trump of all people? No, of course they didn't. But Trump made it happen. And he'll take credit for that if the final toll is below the number that you just wrote down. A reminder that you can support this show by heading on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Again, TakePoliticsSeriously.com. If you're at the $3 level, you get bonus episodes. One on Monday, one on Thursday. And considering how much news happened this week, whoo boy, if you like my take on things, it's a pretty sweet thing to have. Also a reminder that we added two new levels this week. Uh, The Big Tent level, just a buck. People were already giving less than $3. Now you have a codified way to do it. Uh, uh, if, if you give me a buck, you get access to the Discord automatically. It's just hooked up to your Patreon account. And uh, you're just in. You're in with it. And, and uh, whenever I do the road diaries again, you're going to get all those. The other side is for people with more money than cents. It's the donor class. I literally just set up the... Uh, I set up the, the, the group chat last night. You get a, a custom group chat. It's literally just me and a handful of people. And they're great. But if you want that access, that's what the donors get. Trust me, I've been around enough politicians to know how this works. And you got more money than sense. Head on over there too. TakePoliticsSeriously.com My first guest today is Samara Klar, an associate professor of political science at the University of Arizona School of Government and Public Policy. She's the co-author of Independent Politics, How American Disdain for Parties Leads to Political Inaction, and the founder of WomenAlsoKnowStuff.com, an online searchable database of women with expertise in politics. Welcome to the show, Samara. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So the independent voter, why, you know, the, the, the premise of your book, uh, at least from the title here, is how the, the angst of parties leads to voter inaction. Uh, uh, where, where does this problem begin? It's hard to say what the source is exactly because it's a bit of a chicken and an egg problem. Media are motivated to focus a lot on conflict and a lot on sort of the hyperbolic um, uh, aggression that we see between both parties. Now, they don't make it up, of course, that this actually comes from parties. So we can't blame the media exactly because we know that, in fact, political rhetoric has become more aggressive and more negative over time. But all that really matters is that over the past several decades, Americans have become exposed to far more aggression and negativity in politics, and it's sort of stigmatized partisanship. People don't really want to admit that they affiliate with either of the parties because they don't want to be seen as one of these angry, negative Americans. They want to be seen as sort of, you know, relatively reasonable. Yeah. And so, so part of it is a lack of identification politically so you can keep your social circle, so you can continue yeah. to keep your social standing. That's right. I mean, we conducted one experiment where we asked one group of people, you know, what's your party identification? Then we asked another, if you wanted to make the best impression on somebody, what would you say your party identification is? And then we asked a third, if you wanted to make the worst impression, what would you say? And we found that when asked to make the worst impression, 
people say that, you know, the best answer is to say you're a strong Democrat or a strong Republican. And if you want to make the best impression, say you're an independent. So there seems to be sort of a, a unanimous agreement among Americans across both parties that independents make the best impression on people. People seem to think that independents are like the nicest the nicest Americans. We, we did another study where we asked people to rate different faces, and we told them that these faces were either Democrats, Republicans, or independents. And we found that independents are rated to be most likable, most trustworthy, and even most attractive. <laughs> so there is a real bias in favor of independents, regardless of what your actual political beliefs are. Well, that's fascinating. And number one, I would encourage everybody to please follow suit on Tinder. But uh, uh, Absolutely. I tell my undergrads that all the time. Yeah, it's please. It's great dating advice. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. For, 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 <laughs> for God's sake, please don't list a, a party affiliation. No, no. And most don't. I mean, if you look at something like Facebook... Fewer than 3% of people will include their political identification in their profile because everyone understands that no one's really attracted to partisans. People think independents are the best ones. So that's interesting, though, because there is certainly, if you go full independent and let's say, say, oh, no, I, I support a third party, my, my guess is that uh, that is, is thought to be even more toxic than one of the top two parties. Right. I mean, most independents are not going to vote for a third party, and no. that's for two reasons. First of all, the vast majority of independents really do support one of the major parties. Between 75% and 90% of independents consistently vote for either the Democrats or Republicans. It's really unusual for an independent to be truly undecided. But the second reason is that Americans are are pretty prone to supporting a candidate that they, they think is electable, which has, I think, been a big theme in in this particular presidential campaign. Uh, and third parties, for good reason, are not seen as all that electable. People don't like to think that they're wasting their vote. So, you know, the idea that we should form a, an independent party to attract all these independents isn't really all that feasible. So then really an independent is somebody that is either choosing between whether to vote for somebody in the party that they most closely align with or not vote. That's exactly right. We don't see a lot of parties switching among independents. There is a bit. And, of course, anytime I say this, I get some caller, you know, calling in to tell me that they are an independent <laughs> who switches parties all the time. I'm sure, yeah. And those people do exist, um, but it's not the norm. Most independents will tell me, yeah, I'm an independent, but, you know, I would never vote for a Democrat. Or I'm an independent, but I hate the Republicans. So um, that's kind of what we what we usually see among independents. And you're exactly right. The question is whether these whether these people are going to vote or not. One of the problems with independents for American democracy is that they're not going to put up a yard sign and they're not going to wear a sticker and they're not going to wear a button. They're not going to do phone banking. And that's not because they don't support their party. It's because they don't really want people to know that they support their party. So it does become an issue uh, since campaigns are looking for volunteers and they're looking to, you know, grow their support. So if if a Republican is so attractive and a Democrat is so attractive and an independent is more attractive than all of them, then yep. how attractive is a non-voter? Yeah, non-voters aren't all that attractive. I mean, you know, I haven't done a lot of research on non-voters, which is, yeah. you know, often most Americans. Sure. Um, but even non-voters, when asked, will tell you which party they support. So uh, an independent is not the same as a non-voter. Um, an independent who really has no preference whatsoever, which, I, as I said, is a, you know, a small minority, they're pretty unlikely to vote. If you're an independent and you truly can't tell a pollster which party you like better, that's, that's unusual and you're probably not voting. 
But if you just identify as an independent, in fact, you almost have as, um, as high a likelihood of voting as somebody who's just a weak partisan. So independents are just as likely to vote as a weak Democrat or a weak Republican, and they're just as likely to support their preferred party. So then this really is about plumage, right? This really is just about, like, if, if they're voting in and about the exact same clip uh, uh, as, as somebody who would identify themselves, this is social signaling to say, I'm not going to badger you about this stuff. It is. But, you know, I don't like to um, I don't like to think of it sort of as a lie or as a deception. I think about it more as an identity. I mean, you can prefer a party and really want to identify with that group, which is what we see among Democrats and Republicans, or you can prefer a particular party but not really feel like it's part of your social identity. And that's where we tend to see independence. So they're not lying. They're not trying to sure. uh, deceive anybody. They just don't feel like the party defines who they are. So they might you know, tend to be conservative and tend to support conservative policies, but they just don't feel like they're a Republican. And that's largely because of the images they see in the media. And the same would go for the Democrats. What's interesting is we find with observational data that as one party tends to uh, sort of be uh, bogged down with scandal or with you know negative uh, negative stories in the media, then you do find a little bit of a tendency for their partisans to start identifying as independents. So people do respond to sort of short-term shifts, uh, but it doesn't mean that they change their ideology. Their preferences, their issue preferences, tend to stay pretty consistent. Well, enough about all these super popular and attractive independents. Let, let, let's yeah. then live the you know their best lives out here. What do people find so odious about Democrats or Republicans? Like, what what are what are negative traits that are assigned with them? Oh well, we did a few different studies to try to answer that question. First, we just analyzed uh, the content of presidential debates over time, and what we found is this exponential increase in the amount of anger and vitriol that was expressed in presidential debates. So the candidates themselves are becoming outwardly more negative and more sort of aggressive towards one another than what we used to find. And that doesn't actually reflect Americans. I mean, Americans aren't becoming more negative and more aggressive. So they're sort of, um, they're, they're remaining fairly civil. It's actually the elites that are using more aggressive language. We also asked, uh, in a pretty interesting study, we asked people to go online and find pictures that they think best illustrated Democrats and Republicans. Okay. And what we tend to find, as you would expect, is a lot of pictures of fighting and boxing and wrestling and bullying and violence. That really is the image that Americans tend to have when they think about their parties. They don't think about sort of thoughtful debate. They think about aggression between the two parties. And again, it doesn't really define who we are as people. So you're saying that part of when 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 somebody comes up and says I'm a Republican for example the immediate thought is every mean thing they've read heard or seen about Donald Trump or or that's right gotcha. yep that's exactly right and you know we do see in you know there's a pretty um well cited series of studies where people are asked you know how would you feel if your child married a Democrat or a Republican and what those scholars, this isn't my work, but what those scholars have found is that over time, Americans are becoming less and less happy with the idea of their child marrying somebody from the other party. Now, my co-authors and I redid those studies, but instead of just asking Americans how they would feel if their child married someone from the other party, we started to specify who this person is. Is this somebody who talks about politics a lot, or is this somebody who really doesn't talk about politics? And we found that people are actually unhappy with the idea of their child marrying somebody from their own party who talks about politics a lot. And they don't actually really care if their child marries somebody from the other party who never talks about politics. So what, what this suggests is two things. First of all, 
in the initial studies, people, when they hear a Democrat or Republican, they just assume you're talking about somebody who is highly engaged with politics, and that's the turnoff. They don't want, like, an in-law jabbering about politics at Thanksgiving all the time. They want somebody who's going to talk about other things. And the second issue is that people actually don't care about partisanship all that much. They just care about political engagement. So um, it suggests that, you know, we think, we immediately think that partisans are these highly engaged and aggressive people. Yeah. It turns out most Americans are not. The modal Democrat and modal Republican is actually quite moderate. But you wouldn't necessarily know that by watching the news. Well, no, 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 you would not. <laughs> it's certainly, it's certainly, uh, uh, at least those that are highlighted the most. Now, I, I almost want to ask you your your personal opinion because I don't know if you've done any research on this, but it it, it seems that we kind of saw some of uh, of this become a feedback loop recently, specifically with the Bernie Sanders campaign, where a dominant thread, and I guess we saw it with Trump as well, the a dominant thread became. Well, the supporters are so awful that now it must reflect back on the candidate and and, and that that either reveals something about the candidate, but that only serves to make uh, uh, everything, all, all these narratives that you're talking about reinforced. Do, do you think that 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 what you've observed has the power to do something like that or at least be oh, absolutely. described as that? Yeah, there's a lot of evidence of sort of these feedback loops, as you as you called them. I think that's a great way to think about it. As you know, people have inaccurate views of the other party, and those inaccurate views tend to drive greater negative affect and disdain toward the party. So the more that you inaccurately think people from the other party hate you or people from the other candidate hate you, the more you're likely to hate them. And it just does create the sort of self-fulfilling prophecy based on an illusion. It turns out that most people don't actually have very negative feelings toward the outgroup. But their assumption that the outgroup dislikes them makes them more negative towards the outgroup. So it, it, it is all based sort of on a lot of misperceptions of what, what people are thinking. How much do you think that social media or the Internet in general gives people a platform to reinforce these kinds of opinions? You know, it's hard to know if it's having much more of an effect than what we'd find from, you know, just cable news. But I think across all media, both digital media and sort of cable media, we're finding that the most ideologically extreme and the most politically engaged people certainly get the largest platform. So, you know, others have found that on social media, it's just a very small minority of people who are posting the vast majority of political content, and they don't tend to be representative of most Americans. It's similar to what we see on cable news. So the opinions you hear on cable news are going to be the strongest, loudest, most extreme opinions. Again, not necessarily representative. Now, there's some evidence that social media actually does help people um, become exposed to perspectives that they wouldn't otherwise see, and that's not what we find with cable news. And with cable ah, news, yes. people are very uh, are are well equipped to only only see the views that affirm their pre-existing opinions. So I think the jury's sort of out a little bit on whether social media is helping or hurting the situation, um, but I don't. I, I personally wouldn't put, place a lot of blame on social media. I really think ultimately the blame should rest on political elites who are providing a lot of this negative fodder for media to, to display to Americans. Just the fact that that is, I mean, cause, cause the argument you hear from them is, well, this is what people respond to. Like they, they will, politicians tend to, to follow orders uh, uh, either implicitly or explicitly and and uh, you know you wouldn't have let's say a representative Gates walking out on the House floor in a yeah. gas mask if 
yeah. if that didn't get him the kind of attention. But I guess what, what your, your point is that this is just an intricate layer upon layer upon layer of, of media filtering that eventually kind of just paints everybody in a weird brush. Yeah, you know, I think that, you know, political scientists spend a lot of time t- trying to figure out why it is that Americans are moderate and Americans say they want bipartisanship, yet we continue to elect, especially recently, more sort of extreme, uncivil candidates. Um, now, there's a lot of theories as to why this is happening, mostly based on, you know, a reflection of work that many of my colleagues have done. Some people point to the primary system and, you know, if only the partisans, if only partisans are allowed to participate in the primaries, then more moderate Americans are not part of that candidate selection process. So candidates really have an incentive to appear as extreme as they possibly can in order to attract primary voters. Others um, point towards money in politics, that, you know, if it's only the people who can fundraise who become successful, then you're going to find candidates who are drawing money from the most extreme ideological groups. But, you know, it's hard to know because it is a bit of a paradox. People tell us that they want bipartisanship. They tell us that they want moderate candidates. But we actually don't tend to see that as much in the voting booth. Let me circle back to something that you mentioned. Uh, uh, there there was a study that I, I remember vaguely, uh, or maybe it was just uh, something less than a study, just a trend piece or something like that, uh, about how people were, were trying to date more exclusively within their own political party. Uh, but your data seems to suggest that that is is maybe more of an anomaly, maybe more of an an edge case. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to ask about that because that um, relates to some ongoing research that I'm working on now. There is a bit of a trend over time where we find that married couples are more likely to share partisanship than they used to. So, um, so the biggest study on this compared married couples in the 1960s to married couples in the 2005 or 2006. And they found there was maybe an 8 to 10 percentage point increase in the percentage of married couples who share the same party ID. So I have been looking at those data over time really closely, and I think one of the important trends that scholars might be missing is the level of political engagement among women has increased substantially over that period of time. So if you think about couples dating in the 1940s and 1950s, when women weren't terribly engaged with politics, or they at least weren't um, encouraged to express the beliefs that they had or encouraged to, in, to sort of participate in politics publicly, political views were likely not a big part of the dating process. Yeah. Um, a couple in the 40s might not be as concerned as to whether or not their political ideologies matched. When you think about couples who are dating now, women are highly engaged with politics. They're voting at higher levels of men. They're extremely involved in political issues and political campaigns. And it's become a much more relevant trait for couples. So I think that, you know, perhaps part of that trend may be due to this growing sense of, you know, distrust between partisans. But I think an important part that's often missed is the fact that women's political engagement is driving a lot of that. If women are expected to be expressing their political views as much as their their husbands, then you're definitely going to find a rise uh, in sort of the political compatibility of married couples. And so part of this might just be more women are are either making this an issue at at a point of a a relationship, not to say making an issue, but it's becoming more of a discussion during a relationship or thinking about your preference and, you know, that, that dovetails with the fact that women are just more engaged than they have been in the past. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
if women and men are equally likely to be expressing their political views or they're equally, um, you know, they expect that their political views will be, you know, become known throughout their relationship, then, yeah, of course, it's going to be something that, that people are thinking about as they're dating, just like anything else, like uh, attitudes towards having kids or how much, you know, money you want to make or where you want to live. These are things that both men and women care about. In our study, what we're finding is that as women are becoming more politically engaged in politics, they are more likely to marry a man who shares their political views. We don't find the same thing among men. So as men become more politically engaged with politics, it has no effect on, um, on the chances that they marry somebody who shares their political views. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess men have kind of, you know, had their had their choice well, for a while now. So, you know, right. it's, it's I mean, a little, it's a, it's a little less novel. It's always increased. It's always yeah. been very high. <laughs> uh, so the, the idea of partisans being looked at in a certain way uh, uh, and maybe discriminated against uh, in, in whatever soft discrimination you, we can that you just described, is sure. that getting more or less intense? Well, you know, it seems to be getting more intense as elites uh, engage in more aggressive behavior towards one another. We see a lot of Americans, for example, you know, in the most recent polling I saw, over a quarter of Americans said they don't like either party. I mean, that's pretty huge. For 25% of Americans, they don't like either of the parties. And, you know, in, in enthusiasm about candidates has been pretty low. So I think it is growing over time as a result of sort of the negativity that we're seeing. Now, I will say as elections uh, near, people become less likely to say they're independent because they start to get drawn into the campaign a little bit and they start yeah. to view their identity, you know, in line with who they're voting for. And we are seeing, like, you know, I'm here in the state of Arizona. We are actually seeing a pretty, pretty big increase in the percentage of Arizonans who are registering with a party. Um, now, that might be because here in Arizona, like in many states, you have to ident you have to be registered with a party in order to vote in the primary system. So we, you know, we do see as the election approaches, fewer people who say they're independent. But one thing that I found really interesting in 2016 is that it was the first presidential election of which I'm aware where a plurality of Americans still identified as independent in the week leading up to the election, which is pretty wow. big. I mean, less than a week to go until a presidential election. We still have more people say they're independent than identify with either of the parties. All, we'll uh, see in 2020 if that's true, um, but that is what we saw in, in the last presidential election for sure. In 2016, all it took was a race between the most pop, unpopular person to ever run for president and the second most unpopular exactly. person to ever run for president for that to happen. Shocking. That's exactly how I think of it also. I always say Hillary Clinton would have been the least popular candidate ever yeah. if she had not been running against Donald Trump. But she found her match <laughs> And then lost, which is uh, yeah, all, we'll the, see. all the I funnier. mean, the way things are going now, it, we could have a similar situation. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say what's going to happen in 2020, but there's already a lot of negativity towards both candidates. So, so I, I hope we don't end up in a in with a similar attitude among voters, but it's possible. So it seems like, and I'm, I'm glad that, man, this has been a great conversation, because uh, uh, when we say Republican and Democrat, what I think some people immediately assume is like, okay, well, that's a a value identifier. It means that mm -hmm. I care about this or I, I abhor this when really what you're saying is that from, from uh, people that are looking at it, and the reason why independents kind of have this, this superposition, it's because from the outside, it's, it's no, 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 you support this very specific, you support specific people and you support specific opinions that I have about politicians, not just baseline, I'm for equality or I'm for economic prosperity. 
uh, uh, there are very, very specific definitions that are uh, personality transfers from the people we see on television. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, issue preferences within Democrats, or I should say among Democrats and among Republicans, are pretty diverse. So we actually have far less agreement within parties over particular issues, and we actually have a lot of agreement between parties. I mean, there's some issues where, for example, same-sex marriage. I mean, attitudes towards same-sex marriage, support for same-sex marriage has dramatically increased among both parties to the point where it's almost unanimous, especially among uh, partisans under the age of 40. There's huge support. There's a lot of support actually across a lot of issues, even for gun control, which is one of the most divisive issues in America. Support for background checks, for example, is almost unanimous across both parties. So we don't really see these huge issue divides. Obviously, there are some really important ones, and people are choosing their parties for a reason. I mean, they're not randomly picking a party. They are picking a party that best reflects their issue positions. But there is a lot of agreement across parties that I think is lost when we focus on the candidates. So when people think about Democrats, they think about Nancy Pelosi. When they think about Republicans, they think about Donald Trump. That's not the average voter. Your your Republican neighbor is not Donald Trump, and your Democratic neighbor is not Nancy Pelosi. These are people with, with pretty diverse views, and they probably feel a lot less strongly about these issues than most of the candidates that you're seeing on television. So I've got a weird theory, and I have no idea whether or not uh, uh, this is anything that you, you even have any interest in discussing. <laughs> but let me just throw, run it by you. I'll just make something up. It's That's fine. fine. <laughs> Listen, you, you're, you're amazing so far, so I have no doubt. Uh, I think that we have a past around the, the turn of the century, a kind of shattered monoculture. There's less and less and less that we all watch together, that we all view together. You even look at Absolutely, like, like yes. the Oscars, right? Like there's more yeah. and more that, you know, people, you know, it's, it's really only amongst like film nerds that you can even have a conversation about Parasite, which won the Oscar, right? Uh, right. The one thing that's remained, if not intensified, is politics and that the 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 ground that has been seeded by MTV pop you know top 40 radio uh uh broadcast television that as those numbers recede the one thing that increases is political awareness and political allegiance and that that might be just this is just the the politically mutated version of well, I didn't like the English patient and you did, right? Or, or I don't like Madonna and, and you did. These conversations that used to happen because everybody was always exposed to this kind of stuff. Do you, do you think that there's any credence to that? Well, you know, yes and no. I think that most Americans are still not watching the impeachment hearings and they're still not watching the presidential debates. I mean, that remains true. And one of the biggest issues now is even if a lot of people are watching political news, which I would actually say they're probably not, they're all watching very different types of political news. I mean, the sources are so dramatically different. The stories that appear on Fox News versus NBC are completely different. So, you know, I don't know if it's unifying to the extent uh, that you're suggesting. In fact, I think people are watching almost different political realities. But at the same time, you know, a lot of people still aren't paying attention to it, and they shouldn't. I mean, people are going about their days, they're feeding their kids and going to their jobs, and, you know, it's it's crazy. I mean, and because I'm a political scientist, I'm in one of these crazy worlds where it feels like everyone's following all the news all the time. And it's just not true. I mean, it's not rational to do it. You have much more important things going on in your life. 
Now, that's not to say people are ignorant. I mean, they yeah. have really, um, really important ways of figuring out what's going on. They know what the price of gas is and they know what the groceries are and whether their kids' school is doing well or not doing well. Um, and those are really important heuristics that help most people figure out the state of politics and who they're going to vote for. Do they have more money this year than they had last year and that kind of thing? Uh, but I don't know if everyone's sort of gathering together to to think about politics um, in 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 that way. Oh well, maybe next. Time. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'll figure out a better one. No, it's okay. I I have work to do. I have work to do. That gives me a goal. You know it gives me and a goal for 2020. One of these people in one of these freaky social circles where people are paying a lot of attention to politics. Also, yeah, I know. It, uh, look, it's called Twitter, and uh, unfortunately, me and every other I mean, media member's on it. <laughs> I believe the word politics is in the name of your podcast three times. So it that's is kind of an indicator. It is. It is. No, especially <laughs> now. I just you know, it, it's so bad. Thankfully, I'm already happily married, but uh, uh, okay, otherwise. Okay. You have other things to think about. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, oh, I would just be an intolerable person to be around. Because, yeah, exactly. Uh, That's what our studies are showing. No one wants someone at Thanksgiving talking about politics I all know. the time. Right. I mean, especially in this election, I just I breathe in oxygen and I exhale hot takes. Uh, there's no. Yeah, I mean, your in-laws, no I don't know how they feel about dioxide. that. Well, you want to know what? Hopefully, well, the next time I'll see him is Christmas, and everything will be done by then. Uh, but you yeah, want to know what? what? You think. I know what I'll get them for, for for Christmas. How about independent politics? How Americans' a disdain for political parties leads to political inaction. Of course, the co-author is Samara Clark, and she is also an associate professor of political science at the University of Arizona School of Government and Public Policy, and is the founder of WomenAlsoKnowStuff.com, an online searchable database for women with expertise in politics. Uh, Samara, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for for, for joining me. Uh, this was a, an awesome conversation. My pleasure, anytime. Politics. Hey, here's a reminder. I mean, a lot of you guys are basically working from home these days, right? Spending a lot of time outside of your boss's prying eye. Working from home, maybe? Well, I got a little fun way for you to pass the time how about a nice audio book huh how about raise the dead nixon versus kennedy the complete transcripts i read it it's the entire podcast series that i put out a couple of months ago plus a bonus episode you can go ahead and pick it up right now and hell if you have audible it's just gonna cost you a credit you gotta spend those things anyway why don't you spend them my way all right all right it's only six hours you need something more? How about you come follow my Twitch channel, huh? Twitch.tv slash Justin R. Young. Pretty much every weekday, except for Wednesdays. I am there just talking about politics. Consider it your version of live jury radio. Happens in the morning on the West Coast, a little bit after uh, lunch on the East Coast. Just go ahead and download the Twitch app, T-W-I-T-C-H. And follow me, Justin R. Young. It'll give you an alert as soon as I go live. You can tune in wherever. And one last thing. Probably going to need something to read, right? Go to my free political newsletter. Freepoliticalnewsletter.com. Five days a week, five stories a day. Mostly gifts. And augmented by my political acumen. All right. Let's get to my mom. Welcome to the show, Mom. Aw, thank you. <laughs> well, I, 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 I say that with a heavy heart because I really 
I wanted to, I mean, I was planning, I almost still came to Florida, despite the fact that there's no campaign events, despite the fact that uh, at this point, Louisiana just moved back their primary. There's no guarantee that Florida wouldn't move back theirs, right? So I might, this might not even happen, but I was still almost what? going to come down just so I could get a weekend's worth of podcasts in with you because the audience <laughs> loves you so damn much. <laughs> That's hilarious. And I would have loved for you to have hung out with me all weekend. I would have shared as many thoughts as I possibly could with you. So I'm very disappointed you're not going to be here as well. Especially if it goes down and it is a quarantine situation. I know that you are well stocked on wine. So there's there's fewer few places that I would rather be than than hanging out by on your porch with uh, with your with your supply. Actually, I've moved on to vodka. <laughs> Oh my God, that's great! All right, so first, first things first. Let, let's actually talk about a little bit of the the coronavirus stuff. Um, you know, it it certainly has kind of turned everything over uh, over the last uh, forty eight hours. It seems like really Tuesday, uh, Wednesday night was kind of the 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 tipping point where where things really got real. Where where, where where's your head with everything? Well, I mean, obviously I'm I'm very concerned, but I'm I'm trying to keep a level head and I'm trying to educate myself and um you know, certainly I'm taking every precaution that I possibly can, but I'm fortunate because I already work from home. Yeah. Um so I'm not out there exposed as much. Um but I am uh, I'm baffled uh, about the the panic buying that's going on and um i mean i can understand uh, you know hand sanitizer and and clorox wipes being in great demand but i i can't wrap my head around the toilet paper panic and uh tissue panic and things like that so you know i mean this is something that i believe that we're we're going to get through i wish we had stronger leadership in our government. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm confident that, you know, we will survive as a nation. So from your perspective, what, wh- wh- where are the failings of, of the federal government and what would you like to have seen done? Well, I think that the federal government should have been proactive, uh, Years ago, they should have made sure that the department that handles these type uh, health emergencies was well funded. And, um, you know, that's probably the biggest mess. They just didn't even have anyone planning for this type of a thing. And this is not something that you can just like, oh, okay, we have a pandemic. What are we going to do today? to um, resolve this or to keep our country safe. You know, you, you just don't handle things like that. And that, in my opinion, from what I'm reading and seeing is what our government is, is doing now there. It's an, you know, uh, after the fact reaction rather than being proactive, big problem now. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so you, you, there's nothing like immediate, it's not like, you know, three weeks ago, you're like, well, we should be shutting off all air travel now, or we should be shutting down all these events from a federal government level. Uh, this is more of a a pre-planning situation. 
Yeah. I mean, I just think that we needed to be more more prepared for this type of a situation to arise. So some, somebody should have had somebody should have had more of a plan. Yes. Gotcha. On, on, on a federal level. Yes, absolutely. Proactive planning. Uh, are you going to be leaving the house much? Um, yeah, I was actually going to try and brave Costco again tomorrow. Um, and I'll be running around and doing a few errands and things. I'm not, um, hiding out in the house, but every time I leave the house, I take precautions carrying, or I couldn't find wipes or, or hand sanitizer. So I'm carrying around a little bottle of alcohol, that I can spray into a cloth and clean my hands or whatever surface I might be touching. But at the stores, they've last weekend, they were all very, um, they were very helpful. I mean, in fact, when I went into Costco last weekend, they actually cleaned the carts for me as I walked in the door. Mm-hmm. Um, BJ's and Publix was doing, you know, they were, they had a good supply of wipes and things. So, you know, the stores seem to be doing what they can to, um, you know, to help keep, to help people take steps to do what they can to eliminate the spread of germs. So. Was was it was it a, was it a total uh, a total riot at Costco the last time you went? No, but that was last weekend. You know, yeah. things have changed since then. Like now, tomorrow when I go, it probably will be chaotic. I mean, so uh, 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 Ashley, my my wife, your daughter in law, uh, just uh, went to Whole Foods last night and said it was just. You know, it was barren shelves. Uh, uh, people are just freaking out. They're panic buying, and yeah, and and this is also. And, 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 by, and by the way, including us, because she went there so we could get like yeah. two weeks worth of food. <laughs> so we were we were we were contributing to it, but but uh, to but the, also the panic. But right? look, I mean, but I I really don't know, and and, and I'll I'll ask you this, uh, you know, because now my uh, content is uh, earnest questions to my mother, but like, you know, I, I really don't know what that line is between panic and preparedness, and if and if part of this, even from what you're saying on like a federal government level, is that somebody should have had a plan. A while ago, like I, I, I can't divorce any decision that I make today with the judgment that I would have on that decision two weeks from now or three weeks from now or or a month from now. Like uh, so when when Ashley was like, oh, should we go and just buy a bunch of stuff? I was like, yeah, let's go, go, go now, because I, I, I could see a world where in two weeks we don't and and uh, we're really, really upset about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I don't see the need to, for this panic buying. I, I just simply don't, even for food. I mean, um, the the most of our food, wherever it's coming from, whether it's coming from farms within the U.S. or Mexico or South America, I mean, it's still going to follow the same procedures that it we fortunately have laws and rules and regulations governed by the USDA in a, in force and effect, which is why these type pandemics don't typically start here in the United States. 
this is why they start if you you know if you visit China you can understand how things start there because they don't have those kind of rules and regulations and you know and it, it blows my mind when you go to China you know you you can go into some of these little restaurants that are sort of off the beaten path outside the big cities and they have a pen of wild animals, not wild animals, a pen of animals pen of in animals, front of yeah. the, the restaurant, and you pick one to have, you know, destroyed for your meal. And let me let me let and, me just let me just point out to the audience: this is just this is not you just getting memes on Facebook or whatever. Like you, because of your job, you have been to China several times. Yeah, I, I've been to China, and yeah. one of my bosses who ha- traveled extensively to these little factories outside of of Shanghai and Beijing and the big cities came back and told me these stories. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that when I was there myself, you know, I was having chicken soup because I wasn't feeling well and there was a chicken foot in my soup. Yeah. It is, (laughs) it is, it is a different cuisine, a different culture. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I just, I just, the, the panic is just not, making sense in my mind it's just not so what what is what um, is then what is the line of preparedness like should you buy maybe just a little bit more than you would otherwise but not 10 times as much well i mean i think the line of preparedness because we live here in florida we're very used to preparing for a hurricane yeah where you'll be without a source of water or food or things like that for a period of a couple of weeks So when you go out and buy, you know, buy things that maybe won't spoil, things that, you know, you can buy canned goods, you can buy uh, things that are just that, you know, are not you don't have to worry about being tainted in any way. You'd probably probably be be safe to get unlike a hurricane. You'd probably be safe to get frozen stuff because, you know, in in, in a hurricane, you're you're, 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 you're counting on a power outage where you don't want frozen stuff. But here, I think it would be safe. Right, exactly. But in other words, you know, there's there's plenty of options out there that you can prepare. We're not all going to starve. We're not all going to die. Uh, I mean, we just need to simply be smart, educate ourselves and take every step we possibly can to eliminate our own, uh, you know, potential risk out there. But you were happy that I didn't come out. Like because well, I was, I was, um, of course, I was disappointed that I would not be seeing you this weekend because I was so much looking forward to it. But I also am more concerned when you're traveling through airports. I yeah. feel like that's an area where you're going to be exposed to just an inordinate amount of potential germs, and and I just don't think that that's. If you don't need to be there, I I think that that would be a place you'd want to avoid. Now that they're so cheap, I'm just gonna buy like three seats together on a plane, and I'm just <laughs> gonna get in one of those like rolling zorbs, like you know those those big rolling <laughs> plastic inflatable balls. I'll just like paddle my way like a hamster through through SFO. <laughs> oh man! But um, I have to tell you, even today, I got three, four, five, six different emails from all the different 
vendors, credit card companies, the grocery stores. Oh, my God. Um, all no, you these are... different places of this is what we're doing to help keep you safe. And You are not kidding. You are not kidding. I, yeah. I, I swear to God, I've gotten more COVID-19 emails than I got Black Friday emails. Like, like everybody yeah. is taking their opportunity to, to let me know about their product or service in light of this global pandemic. Right, right. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's unbelievable. And we were actually looking at some Amazon statistics because, you know, my company does business with Amazon. We were looking at the Amazon statistics that shows uh, what the most um, searched items were. Yeah. And, I mean, you don't have to guess twice. It was the, you know, the N95 mask. It yeah. was the Clorox wipes. It was the hand sanitizer. It was. You know, and it was just unbelievable. The first 10 items were just everybody basically panicking. Toilet paper, again, just blows my mind. Toilet paper is manufactured here in the United States for the most part. There's no reason that there's not going to be a supply of toilet paper. (laughs) Well, and here's what I said. You know, look, if you really want a contingency plan, don't go to the grocery store. Take your ass on down to Home Depot, get a short hose, and then one of those little gun attachments at the very end. <laughs> you can screw that some bitch right onto your uh, right onto your bathroom sink, and all of a sudden you got a high powered bidet that ain't never gonna run out. There, there you go, <laughs> and there's that'll take care of that problem, and you're oh. all clean and shiny. Dude, I don't think you'll ever go back. You just, I mean, when, as soon as you power wash your butt. Now you're on now you're on fire, baby. Uh, all right. Uh, um, let's talk about uh, uh, theoretically what I was going to be there for, which is, of course, the Florida primary. Uh, uh, the last time that we talked, you uh, were just getting over the Mayor Pete dropout. Actually, before right. we get this, uh, did you did you see him on? Did you see your boy on Jimmy Kimmel last night? He hosted Jimmy Kimmel. You know, I, I um, saw that there was a clip on YouTube, but I didn't have a chance to watch it yet, but I will. Didn't he interview uh, Patrick um, Stewart, I think his name is? Is that from Star Trek? I only watched the, the beginning of the monologue, which uh, not only was, I think, a little bit uh, uh, weird because he didn't have an audience. He had, like, the, the, the writing staff and his husband were the audience because they didn't do an audience because of COVID-19. But right. uh, uh, he seemed, you know, if, if if he were not somebody that I had, you know, followed on the campaign trail and knew his like vocal tics and mannerisms and everything, mm-hmm. I would have just thought he was a random TV guy. Like he was, really? he was, yeah, he was good. Good. I mean, um, I don't, I, I don't I know, I don't know about all the, the 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 jokes are weird. I mean, mostly because I always find politicians making jokes weird. Weird. Uh, yeah, I would agree. <laughs> it's just an odd energy, you know. Even when they're on SNL, uh, it's it's just like I don't know it's if awkward. you're built it's for that. Awkward. Yeah, it's awkward. They, they really don't have uh, the kind of sense of humor or that style, that easygoing style that most professional comedians do. I, I, no yeah. doubt about it. I just think it's going against their strength. Their strength is knowing exactly who they are and broadcasting it. Where when you're doing comedy you kind of have to know more about where the audience is and you have to know where your weaknesses are and like play against that. 
and it's that that's like almost working. It's like it's like trying to write left-handed when you're always right-handed. You're just not going to be as good. Mm-hmm. At it. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. But I will definitely make time to watch him. So he was literally the host the whole time. The host, just like a little guest host. N- well, I think. I don't know if it's going to be for multiple days, but uh, I guess Jimmy Kimmel's recording. They're doing. They're reviving Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, uh, so he is recording. Jimmy Kimmel's recording that, and uh, and and Mayor Pete was was the guest host at least last night. He did some sketch oh, about about pretzels. Okay. I, I do know that. I posted that on my Instagram because somebody had put it out there, but he was making a silly face trying to sell pretzels. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, I will definitely check that Mayor out. Mayor Pete was your was your was your boy. He drops out. He endorses Biden. Uh, the last time that you were on, I believe the the quote was you were totally undecided. Uh, you you were not a fan of Warren, who was still in at the time. Now she's dropped out, and you felt right. that Joe Biden. You didn't understand why he was uh, quote unquote Mister Proud Peacock after after winning a few states. <laughs> I say that you said you called him Mr. Proud Peacock. (laughs) Okay. Well, I have to say, um, I have changed my mind every day. Okay. One day I'm, I'm like, ah, I think Sanders is the right way to go. And then the next day I'm like, well, you know, I guess maybe Biden, he's, Maybe he's got a little bit more diplomacy. Maybe he'll be able to accomplish a little more with, you know, across the aisle. And I guess I'll go with Biden. And then I'm like, ah, I just, I'm, maybe Sanders is the right. Every day I've changed my mind. You've changed your mind. What, yeah, what are, what I'm, are right I'm still now? Missing Pete. I'm still missing Pete and his clarity and his youth. And, um, uh, yeah, I'm I'm still struggling. Well, uh, but uh, now that the second wave of primaries took place this week, um, and Biden just seems to have such a huge lead, um, you know, I I'm not seeing a, a very clear path for Bernie at this point, but. Yeah, I'm just still so baffled how Bernie and Biden wound up our only two options after we had more than 20 contenders. I'm I'm still just shaking my head in disbelief. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think a lot of people are. Uh, uh, well, you do have the the debate coming up. Is there any specific yes. issue? that you would like to see further one-on-one clarity when they sit down, which is now was going to be in Arizona in front of a live audience. Then they cut the live audience. Then they moved it from Arizona to DC. So it's literally just going to be in the CNN studio uh, uh, with Bernie and Biden. Oh, wow. I didn't know they moved it to DC now. Okay. I knew it was going to be without an audience. Um, Any specific, I mean, you know, clearly the, the, the area, I think, where the two of them differ the most, um, I mean, there's obviously there's several areas, but the, you know, the, the Medicare for all versus just expanding or, or yeah. improving 
Um, but I mean, is that is that something the, that, uh, that you need to hear more of them on that subject? Because I feel like like we, we kind of know where they are, right? Bernie's for Medicare well, for all. Biden's not. You know, I guess I would like to understand. I mean, I'm not opposed to Medicare for all. I think it could be wonderful. And I, it doesn't bother me in the least that people are calling it socialist. Med- I, I don't that doesn't bother me. I just would like to understand how it would be funded and, um, you know, how it would would it would would Sanders even be able to um, get it passed? You well, know, I mean, it's just going to depend totally upon what happens in the Senate and how much are they how much is he really going to be able to accomplish of these incredibly progressive and liberal ideas that he's promoting? I mean, they all sound great. How realistic is it that he's actually going to be able to implement? Uh, I think much and, less realistic if you don't vote for him. I mean, that 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 tends to be the the refrain is that all is possible if there is support. And there is no greater demonstrator of support than winning the White House. If you win the White House, you are now the North Star for winning on not only in your party, but in politics writ large, probably globally. And at that point. Uh, you have the the mechanism and you have the momentum to get things done. Provided that he is able to win enough, they're, they're able to turn over the Senate and they keep their majority in the House. Sure. Because without that. But but also it's like you know, if you if you're winning the White House, then you have the best shot at that. Right. You do. But. You know, look at what's happened already, you know, how things have changed. So with with just, you know, the past few years. So at any rate, um, I probably reluctantly will vote for Biden. So there is a there is a, a, a political science trend that is noticed that at a certain point, either the Republican or the Democratic electorate just becomes kind of weary that this is going on and the possible close favorite winds up becoming the blowout favorite uh, in, in short order, mostly because yeah. it seems like the, the, the general will state by state is let's just wrap this up. Like if, if it ain't going to be close, then it's not going to be semi-close. It's going to be a blowout. Right, right. Right. Well, I I think that's exactly what's going to happen. But you are reluctant. I think that is going to happen. And I'm I'm even I'm the perfect example of. Yep. All so right. you are you are a possible a possible Bernie voter that just thinks the the path is too hard uh, for him to get the nomination and 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 you will with a heavy heart vote for Biden. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, can I, can I, I have to can say, I give you one? I'm still kicking myself that I'm like, oh, why? So why? if I could give you one electoral reason why you would want to vote for Bernie, there is basically there is an inverse in Florida uh, of what Biden was facing in California on Super Tuesday, meaning that okay. Bernie kind of always knew he was going to lose Florida in the same way that Biden always knew that he was going to lose California. California, right. Uh, the big question is, can you get over 15% and can you eat into what will be a delegate bonanza for your opponent? 
And so for Biden, mm-hmm. that was just get over 15 percent and and get as far over 15 percent as I can, knowing that we're definitely going to lose, because if this is a blowout here, then it's a real, real, real big problem. And now Bernie faces mm-hmm. that same question of, all right, uh, 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 there's no chance that we are winning Florida. But if we can John up past 15, maybe to 20, maybe to 25, how dare to dream at 30, we only lose by 7 to 10 points, which is what Biden successfully did in California, then there is there is a, a much a, a more equitable de- uh, distribution of those delegates, and it's not the disaster that it could be. Really, for Bernie, it's about avoiding disaster. So, lonely votes yeah. like yours actually matter quite a bit. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> I, you know, I I really do wonder also, and what's going to happen on Tuesday, how many people are going to choose to stay home because of coronavirus and well, that, not vote at all? That is a big thing is uh, uh, as, as we've known. And uh, you know, there are this, Coronavirus disproportionately affects the elderly. Uh, yeah. And uh, there are a lot of elderly folks in Florida. In Florida. You know, without yep. without going into, uh, you know, anything specific, but there there are compromised immune systems in in your life that you interact with on a regular basis. So I could understand where where you yeah. might be. You might be a little uh, hesitant, you know. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people are going to say, you know, well, I'm not willing to take that risk. Biden's going to win it anyway. So why should I even go out there and vote? So who knows how that's going to how that's going to work into the mix? Yeah, that that would be that would be fascinating. That would be fascinating. if All of a sudden Bernie seizes the nomination because of coronavirus. Um, But still, you know, um, my my biggest. And I'm just praying that if Biden does get the nomination, that he has one hell of a strong running mate. Running mate, yeah. Does he smell a little Kerry-ish to you? Does it smell what? Does Biden smell a little like John Kerry? When you look at Biden on television and you just like like sniff the television, does it smell like John Kerry? (laughs) You mean like... John Kerry is a running mate? No, no, no. Like like John Kerry, the guy who he unsuccessfully Biden remind me of yeah, John that, Kerry? That, that that unsuccessfully ran against George W. Bush in two thousand and four. Mm, not necessarily. I haven't really gotten that kind of a feel, but you know, I was never really a huge fan of John Kerry either, but well, it doesn't sound like you're a huge fan of Joe Biden. No, I'm not. You know, but <laughs> I mean, quite frankly, you know, all of the choices over the past years for president for me have been like, well, this is the lesser of two evils. Yeah, except for I Pete. I have not Pete, been Pete was your over only... the moon with any candidate yeah. that I can remember in the last 20 years. So, um, I don't know. Here we are in uh, probably one of the most trying times of my lifetime that i can remember yeah. this year has come in like a lion and um and we'll see where know, it goes <laughs> I'm, I'm really like wow what else what else is gonna happen 
you know? Um, well, I, well I, might, I might be able to give something to you. Uh, do you remember who you voted for for governor in the Ron DeSantis-Andrew Gillum election in 2018? I voted for Gillum. Uh, well, Andrew Gillum had himself a hell of a night last night, Mom, uh, down there what in uh, Miami Beach. <laughs> He uh, was found because him and two other men at a South Beach hotel room, uh, one of them called the cops because there was an overdose situation where uh, many bags of crystal meth were found. Oh, geez. <laughs> and uh, Andrew, Andrew, Andrew Gillum was unable to speak to cops because he was so inebriated. Oh, no. He has since oh, said, no. he has since released a statement saying that uh, he was down in Miami for a wedding. Uh, uh, he certainly had uh, 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 a lot to drink, but he has, he did not and has never done methamphetamines. Uh, one of the men that was found in, <laughs> found in the hotel gave cops his email address as honeyhammock at gmail.com <laughs> oh good lord <laughs> oh well well that sort of ends his political career huh uh, it's florida mom you never know uh, <laughs> there's plenty of color know. plenty Boy, of colorful char sure. characters i have to say though as a little caveat desantis has actually been doing a very good job <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, I have not been I have not been disappointed with with uh, some of the some of the actions that he's taken. And I've actually been impressed to some extent. So I guess maybe the best man did win that one. But, oh, good Lord, I'm sorry to hear that's Gillum. I mean, big, I don't know, but, but you don't know. You don't know the kind of moves that Honey Hammock could have made uh, in, in the governor's <laughs> mansion, to be fair. No, we don't know that. We certainly don't we know that. We do not that. know. Yeah, here we go. This was uh, from the police report, the Miami Beach uh, uh, police. They're uh, uh, inside the hotel rooms. Uh, uh, officers observed in plain sight three small bags containing what is thought to be crystal methamphetamines. Now, now Gillum was... In this room with these two other men? Uh, he was indeed in the room with the two other men. Uh, let me see if I can find. Officers then attempted to speak to Mr. Gillum. Mr. Gillum was unable to communicate with officers due to his inebriated state. Wow. Uh, and how did the police wind up uh, arriving at the location? Someone. Some one one of the three men what? called the cops because one of them was uh, was was uh, overdosing. Oh, well, that almost sounds like it could potentially have been some sort of a setup, but I, I don't know. Who knows? I, I'm not going there. I mean, Whatever. if you were if you were to take a wild guess as to what three men in a South Beach hotel room with crystal meth would be up to, what do you think? Doing their taxes? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's pretty clear what they were doing. So, um, wow, that's really crazy. I had not heard that at all. Yeah. You do sure get the scoop, young man. Well, it's breaking now. It's breaking now here on Twitter, but I figured I would uh, run it by you because I know that you voted for Gillum. All right. Uh, mom. Well. 
uh, so we will. I'll check back with you uh, on on Wednesday to see the results. Um, okay. I'm I am very very sad that I'm not with you this weekend, but but uh, I will almost assuredly be in Florida at some point. Presuming travels legal, uh, uh, you know, in 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 the run to to the White House. I'm sure I'll make it down to Florida at some point. I hope so. I hope so. All right, All ladies right. and gentlemen, my mom, Gloria Young. I'll see you later, Mo. Thank you. All right. Take care. And that'll wrap it up for us today. I want to thank our Titanic $10 tier, Adam B, Adam C, Andrew, Brad, Chad, Daily Tech News Show, Darren, David, DL, D Laser, Frozen Summers, Jim Wright, J Milius, Jonathan, Kilowatt, Lindsay, Middle Age Mike, Milk Leg Scoop, Nicholas, Nick W, Olin and Angela, Paul, Peter, Stephen, the Jen, Will, and Zach. You want to join their ranks? Head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. You want to follow me on social media? I got these Twitter hot takes like you wouldn't believe, baby. Justin R. Young. Also, I periodically go on Instagram stories. You want to see me slowly go stir crazy as I don't leave my house? Huh, follow me on IG, Justin R. Young as well. A reminder, Raise the Dead, audiobook, available now. You can also get the podcast for free if you want to. Just search Raise the Dead. It's all about the 1960 election and how it relates to the 2016 election. All right. Guys, I, I really want to stress this one more time. Please stay safe. I, 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 I genuinely care about all you guys that listen to this, that have, have uh, made this my living, please be careful. Social distancing is real. The best thing we can do is flatten out this curve. And and beyond politics, I, I mean this very, 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 very sincerely. I like to talk about politics because I like to talk about it. But I know that that is not the soul of America. The soul of America is in each and every one of us. And I care about you, regardless of where we fall on these lines. Please, please, better safe than sorry. I will talk to all of you next week. And one reminder, some shows talk about politics. Others talk about politics. And still more, well, they talk about politics. But this is the only show that talks about Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> <laughs>